Thank you. Can we all be seated? And um, just thank you that, you know, we're in the space and we can hear God's word. And I'd like to invite Paul, who's going to be bringing this morning's sermon. Maybe you all receive the word. very excited to be talking about worship because it's a massive part of my conversion story. I, came a Christ, I became a Christian or was brought up in a Christian family, but it was really in a time of worship that I encountered God and decided that I wanted to give my life to follow him and believe in him. And so it's quite exciting to be able to speak on a subject so close to my heart. And growing up in this church, I was lucky enough to have Liz and Summer mentor me through my teenage years and as any of you who know who know Liz and Samo they're very gifted in in the area of worship and they teach on it quite well in other countries um, and so Father God I pray that as I speak now on on the subject of your worship would I do it justice Lord would we be a church who grow ever increasingly in our ability to praise you and offer you songs and lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, of all the things I want to say and all the things I do say today, I pray that the, the stuff that's important would stay. Lord, open our hearts to hear. Amen. So worship, the word we get worship is, uh, I believe, from an Anglo-Saxon word, called worth skip, which means to ascribe worth to something or to declare something's worth. So when we worship God, we're saying, God, you are worthy. This is how much worth you, you have to me, to us as a church, to us as Christians globally. We want to be people who acknowledge God's worth, not just on Sunday mornings, not just in our midweek groups, but every day whether we eat or drink whatever we do let us do it to his glory i want to outline a few reasons why worship is good there are infinite reasons why we should be worshiping gods outline a few reasons and then delve into well how might we incorporate worship or how might we be better worshipers in our day-to-day -day lives so the first reason why we want to worship our God is because creation is already doing it. And there's a famous uh, verse in Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, and night to night they reveal knowledge. Knowledge of God's goodness, his awesomeness. One of the reasons we want to worship God is because creation is already doing it and we get to join in. Fiona this week reminded me of a verse where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as a king and the, the religious leaders are criticizing the crowds for worshiping him. And they are, oh, they shouldn't be worshiping you. So make them stop. And Jesus says, if they don't, the rocks will cry out. If we as God's people, as we as individuals do not worship God and ascribe him glory, he will make rocks cry out. Nature will fulfill the role that we were supposed to play. Do we want to be replaced by rocks? <laughs> um, yeah, a friend of mine said, we can either worship God willingly 
or unwittingly. Um, I a few years ago, we looked at the story of the Egyptians coming out, that the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and how Pharaoh was adamant that he wasn't going to let the people of God worship him. And actually, throughout Israel's history, they point back to Pharaoh and go, look, God used this man whose heart was heart, who refused to worship him, and, and God used this man who unwittingly uh, used him to, to bring glory to his name, and in so doing, Pharaoh unwittingly gave worship to God. We can join in or we can refuse, but God will still get his glory. Another reason we, we, want, we worship God is because in worshiping God and by worshiping God, we are able to enjoy him even more. Uh, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, who is a theologian of the last century. He said, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. And he says, isn't it frustrating when you finished a good book not to be able to tell anyone about it? I don't know if you about you, but when I watch TV and I see a good program, I want to talk to all my colleagues about it and tell them how good it is. Or maybe it's a pizza I've ordered and Domino's is so fantastic or a new item of clothing. We want, we delight to show off what we enjoy, because in doing so, it completes our enjoyment. When we worship God, it, it, it completes, it's like the cherry on the cake, it completes our enjoyment of God. When we say, you are worthy, he invites us to enjoy him even more. And another reason why um, we, we, we worship God is because he is worthy. He is worthy. We have the reading in Revelation 4, the, the elders, they cast their crowns before the throne and then they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God is worthy. And maybe this week one of the things we want to do is just think, why should I worship God? Are there any more reasons? Yes, creation's doing it. Yes, it helps me enjoy God even more. Yes, he is absolutely worthy because of creation. But is he worthy as well because he saved us? Because he sent his son to die for us and he was raised to life again? Is he worthy because he provides us with all that we need? Is he, is he worthy because he's mighty to save? Because he gives us peace? There are so many reasons, and I think a healthy thing to do as a Christian is think about, why do I worship this God? Why do I worship him? It's along the similar lines of Peter who says, always be prepared to give an answer for the faith you have. Let's think, why do I worship this God? Super, so how can we worship? How, how can we grow in this? And I wrote down four points, and I don't think time allowing will get through all of them. So I was asking God during the, the prep for this, like, which one's the most important? Which ones do you really want us to go with? Um, and so I'll probably, like, send Tom an email with a list of all of these, because I feel like it's wasted work not to go through them all. Um, but I think we'll do one negative and one positive. And, uh, and the, the negative one we'll go with first is avoid criticizing or judging the quality of someone else's worship. 
And throughout the Bible, this is a theme that I think comes up repeatedly, is we, we encounter stories where people are worshiping God, they're pouring out their heart, and someone comes and criticizes it. Oh, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And I think the, the flip side of not judging someone is don't let someone else's judgment stop you from worshiping. There's a story in the Old Testament 1, Samuel 1, of a woman who is desperate to have a child. And she goes to the temple to worship and she gets down and she, on her knees, deeply distressed and pours out her heart to God. God, please can you answer my prayer? Please can you answer my prayer? And in the corner, there's a priest called Eli and he's looking at her going, this, this woman looks a little too desperate in her worship. She must be drunk. And just like that, he makes a judgment on her, on her quality of worship, because maybe it was too emotional, maybe it looked a bit weird. It says he couldn't hear any words coming out of her mouth, so she was just moving her lips and, and not speaking. So maybe the temptation for us is to judge someone's worship based on appearance, based on their desperation, their emotions. And actually, this woman was pouring out her heart, pouring out her soul to God. Let's not be quick to judge someone else's worship because it looks slightly different than what we'd expect it to look like because God is looking at the heart. Another example of this is the, the woman in the New Testament who comes to Jesus and she takes this jar of perfume that's worth a year's wages and she cracks it open and pours the perfume all on Jesus's feet and the disciples looking on in Matthew's account it's not clear but I think in one of the others it's Judas who says why this waste why has this woman spent all this money that in the equivalent in this jar of perfume and poured it at Jesus's feet this is this is too extravagant what she should have done is sold it and used the money and given it to the poor and I wonder in our own hearts, I know I'm so guilty of this. When I look at some of the extravagant offerings to God around the world, when I look at the Roman Catholic cathedrals, there's a temptation in me to go, why this waste? There's so much money to spend on a building. There's so much money to spend on fancy artwork. On Why this waste? It should have gone to the poor. It's not a very cost-effective form of worship. And actually, what does Jesus say? says what this woman has done will be told wherever the gospel is told let's not judge people's worship because it's too extravagant or because it's not cost effective is probably how we like to think about it and I, I bet Tom has probably wrestled with this as he thinks about the kitchen is this a good use of money is this a good use of money how much judgment will I have as a result of Rearrange, and this is a church, it's a decision the church has to make wisely, but, but at the end of the day, is it an act of worship? Is this actually, we want to provide a place that's the best possible facilitation of people to come here and worship? How quick are we to judge someone's extravagant or not so cost-effective form of worship or offering to God's? And then on the flip side of this, you've got the, the scenario where Jesus is watching people give offerings in the temple and the rich people come and they give their extravagant loads. And then this widow comes with a few coins. Jesus says, that is worship. The temptation we would have is, oh, that's nothing. That's too small. 
And maybe we, we have a temptation to judge someone's worship because it's insignificant, because it's too quiet, because it's under the radar, because no one notices it, because it doesn't look like they've given everything. Actually, Jesus sees that. Growing up when I was a, a kid before that time where I met Jesus, I didn't want to sing songs in church because it wasn't cool and none of my friends were doing it. And I used to sit down on the chairs at the back of church, and this is in Portsmouth where I grew up, and um, pick at the paint off the sides of the chairs and just sulk, I don't want to be singing these songs, why am I here? Um, and a, a youth worker came up to me and he said, Paul, you don't feel like you can sing at the moment, but maybe if you just wiggle your little finger inside your pocket to God, maybe you could offer that small gesture to him as worship. And at the time, I didn't feel like I could sing, but I felt like I could put my hand in my pocket and wiggle my little finger and go, God, this is an act of worship to you. I want to worship you, but I'm too nervous about what my friends might think. And now I get to lead worship here, which is, which is fun, isn't it? The way God makes, makes <laughs> gets his worship either way, doesn't he? Um, yeah, let's not, let's not judge someone's worship because it's either too big, too emotional, or seems to lack emotion by whatever appearance it is, but it's too extravagant because it's too small. Let's focus on our worship to God's, not someone else's worship to God's. It's interesting, if you read through the Bible, there are occasions where people's worship isn't adequate and isn't good. And I think nine times out of ten, God addresses them himself. And uh, I'm sure Tom and Smee could probably think of examples where it's not the case, but I'm thinking Cain and Abel, where one offered an offering to God that was acceptable, one wasn't. God spoke directly to Cain when the sons of Aaron offered unauthorized fire in the tabernacle. It wasn't Moses who told them off. God had a word with them. When it's Ananias and Sapphira coming to the New Testament apostles and saying, look, here's the money of the property we sold. It, it, it's not Peter who tells them off. God deals directly with them. And so when we have this niggle, I need to criticize someone's worship, or I need to tell them, correct them, just be very cautious because God is very good at guarding his own worship and dealing with it. Um, and there are occasions where Paul does give directions on how to do worship. I think that's done in the spirit of love and not judgment. So let's be very careful. That's one way we can be better worshipers. And then the second one I want to go with is, is in this uh, in the Revelation reading we had. Um, it's this vision John has of the throne of God. And uh, one of the ways we can get better at worshipping is by having a bigger picture of who God is, a more accurate picture of who God is. Revelation inspires worship. When we see more of God, we're more inclined to worship. Matt Remen says, he reveals and we respond. That's, that's how he describes it. As God reveals more of himself, we respond in praise. Um, can I read the Revelation passage again and ask you all to close your eyes and really imagine it? Um, just imagine your John seeing what he sees. After this, I looked 
and behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And then he describes who that, what that, that person on the throne looks like. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. So you've got 24 other thrones around this one main throne. And the elders were clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And then he describes these four heavenly creatures who every day, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living creatures, these four living creatures, give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders around the throne, remember the 24 thrones, the 24 elders fall down before him. They cast their crowns off before him and say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created. God is getting this worship in heaven that is indescribable. You've got rainbows, lightnings, flashes. It's crazy. You can open your eyes if, if you've still got the clothes. God is getting that. And we get to join in with our lives, with our songs on Sundays. We get to, and, and, and maybe one of the reasons we're struggling to worship is because we don't grasp how big and glorious God is. And reading passages like Romans 4 helps us see God you are great. How great you are. Your name is above every name. You're wonderful. But there's another revelation in this book. And I'm not a theologian. I've not been to Bible college or anything like that. But I've noticed that chapter 3 of Revelation comes before chapter 4. It goes Revelation 3, and then it goes Revelation 4, and Revelation 4 started after this. And I'm thinking maybe we need to pay attention to what happened before. And so Revelation 3, just at the end, it's about the lukewarm church, but right at the end, verse 21, 3.21, if you get excited by things, you can remember this, Revelation 3.21 Remember chapter 4 was all about the throne and how glorious that scene is. And Jesus is sitting on the throne getting all this worship. They're worshipping Jesus. Listen to this. 321. The one who conquers, or in the NIV, the one who overcomes. He's talking about Christians, the ones who persevere to the end, the ones who worship God. The one who conquers. I will, Jesus will, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Maybe you get the gloriousness of God, the wonder of God, and that inspires you to praise. But there is also the grace of God. 
that takes someone like me who sins every day more than I can count and someone like St. Christopher's at a church full of broken people and he says to you who overcome, I want you to come up on this throne in the middle of all the action. I want you to sit with me on this throne and maybe we go, God, your grace, your goodness to me is unspeakable. How can I not ascribe worth to you? How can I not worship you? You have been so, so good to me. God invites us to sit on that throne with him because of what Jesus has done, because of this good news. And tying the two things together, thinking that way really stops us going, oh, your worship isn't good enough. Because actually we are worshipping such a mighty and gracious God who accepts our worship no matter how wrong, however small, however big, however rude or imprudent it seems. God goes, actually, I'm accepting you. Oh, Lord, you are so worthy of worship. Lord, I pray that when we struggle to worship, our prayer would be, God, give me a greater glimpse of you, a greater glimpse of your glory, a greater glimpse of your majesty, but also a greater glimpse of your grace and your goodness to me. Not only have you forgiven me, not only have you made a way to the Father for me, you have invited me, lukewarm at times, to come and sit on your throne with you. Lord, you are so good to us. May we be a people who cannot help but respond in praise and worship, not just with our songs on Sundays, but may we live obedient lives through the, through the week demonstrating that your ways are higher, your ways are greater. Lord, may we be a worshipful people. In Jesus' name, amen.